on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iron Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. OU stuff, we break down the schedule. Then Ralph Russo from the AP joins us to pick Power 5 Conference winners, and we finish up with our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, August 24th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of August, visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this on Wednesday morning, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Teddy, we're getting it done early because the Dallas Wings have game three tonight against the Connecticut Sun. Decisive game at home. Let's go. Come on, Wings. Awesome. That's going to be cool. Uh, Head down for the game. Hopefully they pull that thing off. That'll be cool. It will, uh, it's going to be fun. Now, hopefully, I know a lot of people don't listen to this until Thursday. Hopefully, you have seen me celebrating a Wings victory on Twitter. If not, I will be very sad, and please send your condolences. <laughs> okay, man, we got a lot. We got a lot to talk about. We've got Ralph Russo, our buddy from the Associated Press. We're doing, we're picking Power 5 winners, Power 5 conference winners with Ralph. So that is a fantastic interview. But, of course, we're going to start with OU stuff like we always do, and we're going to break down the schedule. But we got to start with the most important news of the week for OU football. And that is Hooters. <laughs> yeah. Hooters, because six of OU's offensive linemen, Tyler Guyton, Anton Harrison, McCade Matar, Andrew Rame, Chris Murray, and Wanye Morris have signed an NIL deal with Hooters. Now, only offensive linemen from 10 schools were included in this whole thing. Ted, what an honor for these young men. I mean, this is... This is what NIL is all about. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's, it's been awesome. And I'll tell you why. Uh, the first thing you think of is like dangerous proposition for Hooters signing all of these offensive linemen to NIL deals. I'm sure it comes with uh, 
some food allowances in there, and these guys can turn your lights out whenever it comes to eating wings. But the amount of uh, the amount of fanfare and publicity that Hooters has gotten from this deal makes it worth it. We spent, you know, a couple of segments. It felt like yesterday talking about it, and I I was convinced that I need to go. I need to go by Hooters and get some wings. It's been a while because they do have really good wings. So I think mission accomplished for Hooters. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. And I love the press release they put out. They basically said, you know, the offensive linemen, they're going to visit local Hooters. They're going to have roles in Hooters social media content, you know, what they're putting out on their social media also. And I, I love that they just want to give offensive linemen some more spotlight. Yeah, and and the the statement in the release that I loved was they want to quote redefine what it means to be the big man on campus. Yeah, so this is this is amazing. I am with you on Hooters wings. Now, full disclosure, I haven't been to Hooters in a really long time, but the wings are good. I I've always liked them, and. I actually once ate 50 of them in one sitting on spring break in Destin, Florida in college. Uh, that, that was a while back. Dang. But that they have a, it's a big wing. It's Hooters a substantial too. wing. I was a substantial human at the time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I, I am, I am a fan of Hooters wings, even though I haven't been there in a long, long time. But this is a fun fact that I'm not sure a lot of people know, and I've never utilized it, but I've seen someone utilize it. And I don't know if they still do it, but they used to back in the day. You can ask the waitress to debone the wings for you, and they will do it. They put on the gloves, and I don't know. That's too weird for me, and it's part of the uh, experience, right? Is there's there's a there's a technique involved in eating wings some people know the proper technique others do not but i have seen that it like I, i'm not a fan of it i i'm gonna give i'm gonna give hooters a free marketing idea right here because you know you're expecting the big guys to be eating wings and these you know this social media content you need to reverse it I want the offensive linemen in the outfits. I want them in the orange shorts. I want them in the tank tops. I want them in the socks. I want to reverse the role to where they are waiting on the ladies. That That is marketing gold. If you can get a couple of these guys to basically, it will kind of look like a sausage casing, you know? <laughs> if you can, If you can get them in those outfits... That that is the content I want to see, and you that want, that will get you the attention. Hooters, do it that way. We want Andrew Rame in some scrunchy socks and showing showing some cleavage, and we we need to see him deboning some wings. Yes. So there you go, Hooters. Free free billion dollar idea. For you. All right. Now, I halfway feel like no one would ever go to Hooters again after that. I mean, that's I, this is the reality of it. I'm more likely to show up to Hooters here in Oklahoma City if you tell me that a couple of these offensive linemen are going to be there in that outfit because I want to see it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm with you.
yeah, we'll we'll see. I I hope they use that. It'd be so funny. <laughs> they got to do. They'll get creative with it. I'm sure. A calendar uh, of some of these offensive linemen in those outfits. I mean, are you kidding me? Just fly. Funny. They would fly. That's funny. Do you want to talk about the schedule now? Are we done with the Hooters talk? Now that you've got the mental image of all these guys in that outfit. I, I think we'll circle back. I think we'll circle back. All right. I'm still shocked by the 50 wings in one sitting. That is amazing. Light work. It was light work, too. I was drinking beer while I was doing it. A couple Just, baskets of fries, too. They got good fries. The curly fries are, yeah, yeah. This this podcast is not sponsored by Hooters, but man, we just uh, maybe it should be Jeez. Free commercial. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However, you ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, it's time to break down OU's schedule. And when you look at it, you go UTEP, Kent State, at Nebraska, Kansas State, then TCU, then you've got OU Texas, then you get Kansas. You've got the bye, then at Iowa State, home against Baylor, go to Morgantown, get Bedlam at home, and you finish up the season on the road in Lubbock against Texas Tech. And as I look at this schedule, Ted, and I know we've touched on it a little bit, but I wanted to dive a little deeper into it. There's been a lot of change, right? New head coach, new offensive system, offensive coordinator, uh, new defensive system, clearly, with Venables, a new quarterback with Dylan Gabriel. But it, I, I firmly believe if all of that wouldn't have taken place, right, if there wasn't so much change and I, I think some some uncertainty that comes with that, there'd be a real conversation about the possibility of OU going undefeated. Yeah. Because, and that I, I don't think that's a that's a fair conversation for Brent Venables, right? Year one as a head coach, like it's really really hard to go undefeated, no matter how well the schedule lays out for you. But the guy didn't take the job to go nine and three. I know that for a fact. So you look at it with Nebraska being your toughest non conference game, like it is. 
man, the schedule lays out well. It does. And here's the way I look at it. And just kind of like what you said, it's maybe it's not fair, but you know, last year with a really similar schedule, you could make the argument that this year's schedule is, I mean, you really don't need to make the argument. It is other than the Nebraska game being on the road, Oklahoma state Baylor being at home. Um, I feel like we almost ran the table last year. And I, I think that we're going to be better pretty much across the board than we were a year ago. You know, we're, we're throwing into the end zone to beat Oklahoma state. Uh, you know, Baylor in Waco, they kicked our ass. Okay. There's no way around that one, but you don't have to get a whole lot better from what we saw last year in order to take that schedule and, you know, maybe you don't beat Baylor, but you beat Oklahoma state and you, you take a lot of those close games and make them, you know, double digit victories. I, I feel like that's definitely in the cards this year. Yeah. I mean, you do have to feel like maybe there's going to be a hiccup somewhere, but I'm, I'm totally with you. It's something that you don't necessarily want to say because we haven't had an undefeated regular season since what? 2004. So to predict that is, 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 is not something that you necessarily want to throw out there, but my goodness, it's, there'll be a favorite in every game. And unless something happens injury wise, you feel like they, they should win every game that they, that they play. Now that doesn't always happen, right? It actually it rarely happens even with the, uh, some of the greatest teams that we've seen. So i all that to say, I agree. Yeah, and you know, I spent some time looking looking around the country when it comes to favorable conference schedules. I the the conference schedule for OU can't get much more favorable than it is. I mean, when you talk about the other teams that are expected to be in the mix for a conference championship in the Big 12, they don't play any of them on the road. You got you got Baylor and Norman, you've got Bedlam and Norman. You get K-State in Norman, and then, of course, you get Texas in the Cotton Bowl. So when you look at whether you're looking at the media poll or any of these AP polls, like I think everyone views the top half of the Big 12 this year as OU, Texas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. You don't have to play any of those other four teams on the road. You can't ask for a better conference schedule than that in year one if you're Brent Venables. You you just can't. So knowing that, like, it, I, I'm not saying that they should run the table in the Big 12, but I am saying, like, it can't it can't set up better for them to run the table in the Big 12. So right. that that becomes the question for me is, like, should we expect them to run the table in the Big 12? Like, should that be the expectation? Like, I know the expectation is for them to, to be one of the two teams to play for a Big 12 title in Arlington. That is, that is undoubtedly the expectation. But as I kind of look at it, man, it's hard not to look at that schedule and to go, man, 9-0 is it's pretty attainable. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I said it's been a long time since we've had a, an undefeated regular season. 
it has not been a long time since we've run the table in the Big 12. Um, you know, I know they did it in 16. I'm trying to think if they've done it another time uh, recently. But Speak, speaking of that 2016 team, uh, Sunday's episode, D.D. Westbrook, ladies and gentlemen, and we've already recorded the interview. And let me tell you, <laughs> highly entertaining. Oh, my gosh. One of the best ones we've ever done. Yeah, it was great. It really was. Um, but yeah, so I'm totally with you. It line, especially for, you know, it, it's just the Big 12, but knowing that you play every single person in your conference for it to lay out the way that it lays out this year, it, it's all you can ask for. You just go out there and you take care of business and who knows what, what you might have uh, at the end of the season. Yeah, so when we look at the schedule, and you and I tend to have different thoughts on this, but what what are the most concerning games? I don't want to say they're scary. I'm going to call them concerning or the ones that get your attention the most. Right. When you look at it right now, and I know we haven't even seen this team play a snap together in the 2022 season, but as you're just looking on paper, what games concern you the most? Well, uh, this isn't the most concerning, but as I look at it, the way that it lays out the Nebraska game is, is interesting. It's going to be, it's going to be the first time Dylan Gabriel's gone on the road into an environment like that. Um, you know, it's, they're going to be, that's going to be a Nebraska team that has played an extra game. They're going to be a little more into their, their season at that point. Uh, they obviously have a lot on the line. They're going to be better at quarterback. They're going to have a different offense. They're going to have some things in store for Oklahoma that we haven't seen. Although Venables knows uh, Whipple's offense and has some background there, it's still going to be a little bit of an unknown. Uh, we know they're tough def uh, defensively. They're tough physically. So that game is, is, is worrisome. I, I think we should win it, but it's worrisome. But Kansas State the week after is the game that's really got me interested because Kansas State is – we know how they play. We know how they play Oklahoma. We, we know that their, their scheme in the past has been one that's been the Achilles heel for, for what we've done. Now, we've got different scheme now offensively. Um, we've got a different toughness to us, uh, I believe as of right now, but Kansas state coming to town, Adrian Martinez is a dangerous athlete and we know what running quarterbacks can do to defenses. And I, I know I just said that the Nebraska game is a concern, I, but I saying that I do think there's a chance that we go out there and just blow their doors off. And if that happens and you kind of compare, you say, well, this is a better Nebraska team than what they were last year. And look what we just did to them after we played a one score game at home, we went up to their place and blew their doors off. There could be a little bit of a chance that this team starts feeling like they're maybe a little bit better than, than what they are. And, you know, and I know that the staff will kind of stay ahead of that, but the Kansas state game worries me. And then my next one is, at Iowa State, because I just don't know what to expect from Iowa State. I, you know, there's a lot of people looking past them, 
And part of me is starting to feel like that's going to be a dangerous football team. Yeah, I think that they're one of the teams that I think is going to be a lot better than people think they're going to be. Yeah. And the the interesting part about Iowa State is OU gets them in Ames. Remember, that game got moved to Saturday. So that's, what, October 29th? Iowa State's going to be a lot better of a football team on October 29th than they are on September 3rd. No doubt. And Deckers, Hunter Deckers, their quarterback, who Matt Campbell said is going to be a dude. And he told me that at Big 12 Media Day. Like, he will have had some time under his belt at that point. He'll be way more comfortable. And and we we know what that defense is going to be uh, with John Haycock and, of course, Will McDonald, you know, arguably the best edge rusher in the conference. So, yeah, Iowa State, it ain't going to be easy in Ames, man. It's the, the days of going to Ames and just beating down Iowa State, those, those days for the most part are over. Yeah, and it's a it's a crazy atmosphere too. That that place, that damn GJ. <laughs> it's a it's a rave. I'm you know the one thing that's missing, I guess, is well, I was going to say the drugs. Maybe not. Maybe maybe the drugs are going up there and some bottle uh, service. Yeah, some neon lights spinning around. But yeah, that that game's a concern. Yeah, and I, I like what you said about the Kansas State game. And just one quick note on that. I can, I think you and I, we've both been fairly critical of Adrian Martinez as a player. Mm-hmm. But after seeing that story about him playing last year with a broken jaw, I got some respect for that dude, right? Like now he needs to turn the ball over way less. There's no doubt, but I, I'm never questioning that dude's toughness. That that That's a hell of a story. But the style that Kansas State is going to play like, with the way that OU wants to play offensively, if Kansas State can slow it down and reduce possessions, that'll be that game could be interesting. But uh, I, I don't know. I do have some questions about Kansas State's offensive line and, and how that all is going to look for them this season. They got to replace three guys in the interior that played a ton of football for them. So you mentioned the Nebraska game, and I agree. One one thing, I think one thing that people, you know, look at that game and they feel comfortable about it is because OU's going to have a big talent advantage. And that's true. There's no doubt. But that place is going to be rocking, man. 90,000. And it's the first time OU's been to Lincoln since 09. Scott Frost and that staff are, I don't want to say desperate, but they are. You know, you talk about a heightened sense of urgency to win that game. Casey Thompson, a quarterback, like that is, that's going to be a really tough atmosphere. And it's going to be an atmosphere that some of these, some of these guys have really never experienced on the road. And I'm not saying that there aren't great, great road atmospheres in the big 12, but other than what they've seen in the cotton bowl, right? Only half the stadiums against you there. This is going to be 99% of people against you in Lincoln. So it, it's going to be interesting. You mentioned that. Is this the biggest road atmosphere that we've played in since Ohio State? Yes. Yeah. Unquestionably. Yeah. Didn't think and They that. just, they haven't like, and now Manhattan gets going, Ames gets going, but it's not going to be like Lincoln's going to be, man. It's, it's, that's a huge stadium. Yeah. Huge. 
and those fans, man, they're they're like OU fans. They're they're great. So I just handling that atmosphere is is that's that's the most interesting interesting part of that game to me is how the team handles just all of those people being against them. Now Nebraska fans are nice, but they're not going to be nice that day until the game is over. So right. I of, of course Texas, I mean Texas is a mystery this year with Ewers uh with what that defense is going to be. That atmosphere there like you never know. We say that about that game every single year. Doesn't matter how good they are, doesn't matter how good we are. It's it's going to be a dog fight. It's games insane. There's no other way to describe it. But you mentioned Baylor on November 5th. That, I, I know it's in Norman, but what Baylor did to them last year doesn't matter where the game is played. And I know there's a new mentality, a new toughness with, with Brent Venables and with Schmitty coming in, all that stuff. But the same guys that pushed OU around last year are all back for Baylor. Not only on the offensive line, but on the defensive line. All of them. And that's, you know, if you want to talk about a concerning game, as a guy that believes big games, every game really, but especially big games, are one at the line of scrimmage, that game concerns me, right, because of what I saw last year. Now, I think it's going to look a, a lot different for OU along the line of scrimmage this year. But still, you got to look at that game and go, hmm, that'll be interesting. And then the last concerning one for me, just because I feel like it's in, it, it is in like the ultimate trap game spot. You've got Baylor on November 5th, and then you've got Bedlam on November 19th. And in between those, you got a trip to Morgantown. Yeah. And West Virginia's never beaten OU in the Big 12. But that team played us so close last year. And they did it with Jarrett Dagey at quarterback. And with two offensive tackles that were young and weren't any good. And now, now I, I am interested to see if they're able to maintain the level on defense that they've had the last two seasons. They've been rock solid on defense, but that is, that is the ultimate trap game spot in between Baylor and Bedlam. And you've got Iowa state and Baylor back to back leading into that West Virginia game. So two games, you know, are going to be really, really physical. So that, that Morgan, that trip to Morgantown, I just look at it. I go, Oh, uh, I, I just don't love the timing and love how that one lays out. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other point, and you made this with Iowa state is West Virginia, new offensive quarter, uh, new offensive coordinator, new quarterback. They're going to be way better at that point in the season than they are early on. I, I have a feeling West Virginia is going to take some lumps early. They've got a tough schedule to start off. I think they'll take some lumps. If they're healthy, by the time OU goes to Morgantown, they're going to be a, a much better team. Now, you would say that, well, so is OU, and I agree, but, you know, dangerous quarterback, whenever he gets it rolling and he's healthy, 
com combined with a, a defense that's been really solid, uh, solid the last couple of years. I agree. Yeah, but and weather can be an issue there. I mean, it hasn't been. Like, we've handled that road trip pretty, pretty good in the past, but you just never know what you're going to get weather-wise at that time of the year. Yeah, uh, you, you, you really don't know, and I don't know why. I, I don't think I've, I, I've made it pretty clear. I, I'm a Neil Brown guy, like that guy a lot, and he's going to have his team ready for that football game. So that yep. that one, just where it sits in the schedule, is is really, really interesting. All right, let's get to call your shot. And we asked you guys, what game on OU's schedule concerns you the most and why? Uh, this first one comes from Reagan Hogan. He says, Nebraska, Scott Frost recognizes that beating OU would be a signature win that could flip his program in the right direction. That's a good way of putting it, man. Yeah, and, you know, they've got, they've got a fairly easy schedule um, leading up to it. You know, they play this week zero game Saturday, which by the way, the last I saw, they were 13 and a half point favorite over Northwestern. The easy, if that is still the line, it is the easiest pick of the entire college football season for a, for a, um, a line. They're going to beat Northwestern by 50 points. They're going to absolutely destroy them. And they're going to have some confidence rolling into that game. And I agree. They they are going to pull out all of the stops. This is one of those games for Scott Frost where the record doesn't really matter as much if you beat a, a team like Oklahoma. I, it's a it's a it's a job saving victory. They they may give them an extension after the game. Right. Yes. <laughs> if they win. The okay. This win. next. This next one comes from Brian Widget, who says, Iowa State, they have a chance to be sneaky good. Games at home, it could end up being a night game. Deckers might be better than Purdy. I I agree that, you know, Purdy, while he's got a ton of the records there at Iowa State, he is, he just made so many mistakes in big moments for them. And I will say just talking to, you know, got to talk to Xavier Hutchinson at big 12 media day and Matt Campbell. They're excited about Deckers man and his ability to push the ball down the field. So that could add something to Iowa state's offense that we really haven't seen a lot of, right. That was the weakness. They couldn't really push it down the field with Purdy because he didn't have that type of arm. So yeah, I don't know. And it's just weird playing the names, man. It's just a weird place to play. Yeah, and they they are still talented. They lost a lot of guys, graduated guys, but they still are incredibly talented. Uh, last year's what Big Twelve sack leader Will McDonald is back. He's a good edge guy. Orion Vance is back at backer. He's it's like a six year player for them. Uh, he'll be back. And um, oh gosh, number one on the back end. I'm drawing a blank, but he's outstanding. He got he hit Drake Stoops and got kicked out of the game and targeting in 2020. I really, young? really good. He, yeah, I think that's right. Really, really he good. He transferred to Ole Miss. Oh, did he? Okay. Yes. Well, well, then he's gone. But, you know, they've got, they've got some talented players that are going to be back. And that defense is – they're so good at, at what they do. I, I, it's not as personnel-driven as some other defenses. So, I think they're still going to be really solid. Yeah. It's – it's 
it's a good schedule. So, I mean, double digit wins and playing for a big 12 championship, I think is, is a realistic and fair expectation. So we'll see, we'll see how it ends up, man. But just looking at it on paper, can't ask for much better. Right. Nope. I totally agree. All right. Birthday shout outs. Happy 14th birthday to Charlie Burkhart. Happy 24th birthday to Franny Ford. Happy 42nd birthday to Bryce Eaton. Happy 61st birthday to Chris Old as Hell Walsh. <laughs> nice. <laughs> happy 62nd birthday to James Wilkerson. And happy anniversary to Kirk and Molly Butler. Happy anniversary to Brock and Crystal Eaton and one late addition. Happy 80th birthday to Nader Varga from the family. All right, let's awesome. get to our interview with Ralph Russo. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Love's Connect app for exclusive offers from today's po most popular brands. The Love's Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com and use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off. 10% off your entire order, that is. You still get a discount on all of the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence with a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio. No student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. All right, here he is. Here's Ralph Russo. It is our pleasure to be joined by the host of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. He also happens to be the main man covering college football for the Associated Press. Ralph Russo is in the house. Ralph, what's going on, man? Things are good, guys. We're looking forward to uh, football, man. We're just It's been a long offseason of NIL and transfers and realignment, and boy, am I looking forward to just covering some games, man. 
talking season gets longer and longer every year, doesn't it? Yeah, and we're talking about more and more things that are have nothing to do with actually guys, you know, catching touchdowns and blocking and tackling. So again, it's 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 when the season is upon us like it is now, it gets you even more excited because you feel like you've been so far away from it for so long. Yeah. So as we head into the season, I can't believe it week zero games this weekend, but we wanted to go through all of the power five conferences with you and and with the way that you cover college football nationally, we thought you were the perfect man for the job. So what we just want to go alphabetically start with the ACC. Is that how we want to do this? Wherever you guys want to start is okay with me. As I told Gabe before we started here, like just coincidentally, like I have to publish my predictions because like, you're sort of contractually obligated to, you know, make a fool out of yourself and predict a bunch of ge- a bunch of games and a bunch of conferences. The one thing I'll say, a- alphabetical order is fine. Generally speaking, my philosophy with predictions is, man, this is supposed to be fun. You can't just go chalk. Like, generally speaking, like, try to do something a little different somewhere within these conferences. That is my general philosophy here. Okay. I like the sound of that. I like the sound of that. So let's let's start with the ACC then if you're saying you're not a chalky guy so you don't have Clemson winning the ACC you got no I got no I got Clemson winning the ACC so (laughs) so, I got I got one or two twists I guess my one twist I know we're talking about who we think is going to win the conference it's just hard for me to get past of the uh, just the talent advantage, right? Clemson has over the rest of the ACC. They generally are recruiting so much better. And it's just a matter of like, can they fix the offense? Can these new coordinators come in and adapt? I, I will say this, guys, and I'm interested to hear your point of view. Like I find Clemson to be maybe the most fascinating team in the country just because they came off of a a little bit of a down year last year, and they had so much transition on the coaching staff and uncertainty at quarterback. It does feel like this is like Dabo coming to a fork in the road. And like, does Clemson go back to being the monster team that can contend for national championships? Or is it just sort of the best team in the ACC or one of the best teams in the ACC? Yeah, I I think it's, I think it's fascinating. Uh, they're actually in a really good spot, in my opinion, because I think they've got a ton of talent coming back. I, I actually was just talking to uh, Coach Brent Venables about Clemson's defense, and he says they are going to be absolutely loaded. Defensive line, linebacker, they've got so many great players coming back that that defense is just going to be amazing. Now, the quarterback situation, that's really the thing to look at. Do you do you really feel like last year the – Uyunga Lale situation was offensive line driven, or is there some real problems there? And you know, there's there's quite a few people that think Klubnik's going to actually really push for that spot, and there may be a short leash going into the season for Uyunga Lale. I, I mean, I think that though is is the maybe the difference between Clemson this year and last year too, right? Like if 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 DJU struggles. Klubnik is there and has a really high ceiling. Now, I understand you're throwing a freshman in, but as we all know, these freshmen are, generally speaking, a lot more prepared to be thrown into these situations than ever before. And this isn't just, you know, just a freshman. This is a guy who's considered one of the best quarterback recruits in the country. So, And the last time he did it, you won a championship. 
and and there's and there's precedent for the way this has played out. Again, that defensive line kind of harkens back to the Christian Wilkins group with Brise and and Miles Murphy. So yeah, you can sort of see. I tell you one thing, the thing I'm most interested in, we talk, we so much concentration on quarterback offensive line. Where are the Clemson receivers like Clemson, like rose to the top on the back of these amazing receivers to go with these great quarterbacks. And they've recruited really well as far as the stars at that position, but who is going to step forward and be the next T Higgins, the next Mike Williams? Because that was a real problem for them last year, too. They again, the recruiting stars say some of these guys should break out, but they weren't they didn't necessarily provide that last year. So it's really all focused on the offense. But the defense is so good. It makes me lean Clemson more than NC State, which I think is a, tends to be everybody's second choice. Right. And with them being in the same division, right, the last year of the Atlantic there and, and the coastal divisions in the ACC, I, I think we all like Devin Leary, NC State's quarterback. Uh, they're physical at the line of scrimmage, but they get Clemson at Clemson. And then, you know, looking at the coastal, do you like Miami coming out of there? Tyler Van Dyke, really talented quarterback. Mario taking over there as the head coach, maybe a new mentality for Miami, no turnover chain anymore. Like if there was one team you think can challenge Clemson, is it NC state or do you think Miami could get him in an ACC championship game? I, I think it's NC state. I think it's NC state and maybe even during the regular season, I, I gave serious consideration to NC state there. They bring most of their defense back plus some injured guys like Peyton Wilson, you know, so so you know, it's a team that basically brings back like thirteen starters, right? Like they actually have more starters coming back than you can actually start on defense. Uh, I question their running game a little bit. Listen, it's hard not to question. You shouldn't be influenced by this because none of these players were on those teams. But it's hard not to be influenced by the history. Like, okay, this is your moment, NC State. Go out and be great. And we haven't seen them be great under Dave Doran. They have been very good. He has raised that program to a consistent level of success that has really been admirable, but they've never put it all together and had that big breakthrough season. So you find yourself thinking like, okay, I'm a little, uh, I'm, I'm going to hold off until I see it. The other side, I got to tell you, so this is where I, I figured let, like, let's get a little weird. A lot of talk about Miami with a new coach. Um, you know, a lot of thought of Pittsburgh should be pretty good again, but you lose Pickett and Jordan Addison, and is it all going to come together? North Carolina was everybody's big disappointment last year. I wonder if we were a year too soon on North Carolina. They have recruited very well. Um, they they picked quarterback yesterday, uh, May. You know, who, who the former basketball players, uh, the star of uh, the the brother of the star of the former basketball player there. I just I, I just think that it's not necessarily, oh, I love North Carolina. It's just that that division is so messy and has so many question marks. I could see somebody coming out of there six and two sort of muddling along and really quite frankly, being primed to get run over by Clemson in the in the in the conference championship game. I'm just not ready to buy fully in on Miami until I see proof of concept with Mario. 
Uh, and I don't, I don't blame you. There's been a, there's been a lot of opportunities to buy in on Miami and folks have lost money if they have, uh, because exactly. it's, it's a tough, it's a tough job. It really is. But I, I do believe that he's as capable as anyone that they've hired. It's the best hire that they've had. And they've got some good things going around the program. So I'm optimistic, but that's, and we don't have to spend much time on this, but when you look at the conference as a whole, Florida State down, Miami down, uh, Virginia Tech down. Some of these teams that really carried this conference for a while are down. What do you? What's your feeling long term with the ACC? Uh, is is this going to get gobbled up? Is if if Florida State and Miami bounce back, are they stronger to be able to stand on their own? Like, what's what's your forecast for the ACC? I mean, my long-range forecast is, is I do wonder about what this conference looks like down the road. And when I say down the road, I'm not really thinking a year or two. That contract, that grant of rights that they have is probably locks them in pretty solid for at least four, five, six, maybe even more than that. I think once you get toward the back end of the conf- a contract, now maybe some lawyers start looking for reasons for, for like start running Uh, how they get out of the contract and the accountants start doing the math and maybe they come up with a way where they go, okay, let's say it's a lot of money, but we might be able to do it. Uh, But on the field, listen, I think if, if you've had a lot of fun uh, making fun of how the U is back, this might be your last year to, to have some fun with that. Like I'm not picking them, but I also think that like, I see what they're doing in recruiting and the way Mario runs a program and what a madman of a recruiter he is. I mean, he is one of the more intense guys out there. I think that they will trend back up. I'm very interested to see what Florida state has. And you know, if there's a chance that they could be trending back up, I think they're taking baby steps in that direction. And Brent Pride's an interesting guy at Virginia tech. I think he's just a much better fit, but he's got some building to do, but you're right. If you can get those marquee programs, back to playing a little closer to their ceiling. And I think there's all there's possibilities that they could in the next couple of years that the ACC looks a lot more formidable. But for this year, I think there's still too much transition within those marquee programs. Okay, let's move to the Big Ten. And is maybe this is the best way to put it. Is Ohio State's offense just going to be too good to pick anyone else to win the conference? I think so. I, I just, I, I, you know, even last year, they were awfully good last year. And, you know, it's amazing. You know, you lose. You guys understand this because you guys both played at Oklahoma. You know, you go 11 and two and, oh, man, we had a rough year last year. Wow. Really? Like 11 and two, nothing but NFL guys on your offense. And that was a rough year. Listen, I think some years the defense clearly didn't click last year. You bring in Jim Knowles, who again, you guys in, in Oklahoma are real f- familiar with. Uh, my sense is he'll probably have enough mat- raw material to work with there to make that a, at least a pretty good defense again. And if it's a very good defense combined with that offense, yeah, I, I got Ohio State here. Um, maybe not just to win the Big Ten, but to win something even bigger at the end. But I just, I just have a hard time seeing anybody – coming up with that magical season that the way Michigan did to beat them last year, to repeat that this year. Cause that's what you need. You need a team where everything comes together to knock them off and to expect that two years in a row, I think is probably expecting too much. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Ohio state, big front runner, but I really, 
I love the next tier of teams that they have in the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, throw Wisconsin in there, maybe even Penn State. Yeah, that Penn group, State's going to be good again. Yeah, that group's all kind of fighting in there to to try and see who can be the the next team to maybe take down Ohio State. Uh, I Wisconsin's going to be unbelievable again on defense. Uh, is is quarterback finally going to be a position of strength for them? Because that feels like that's the one thing that's been missing for them. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to to pull up my wagon next to Graham Mertz and say, yeah, I'm on board with that. And I, listen, I would I would not advise that, Ralph. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, listen, I think he he is underwhelmed, and can he get to the point where being where he is a you know sort of a very consistent, competent player? Because you've seen it, it with Wisconsin, you don't necessarily need to be great. Braylon Allen is is the next you know man at Wisconsin. I, I assume that he'll be a two thousand yard rusher if he stays healthy. So you just need sort of that like you know competent level quarterback really efficient guy that we've seen to make good decisions. And can Mertz be that? Yeah, I think he probably can. But again, I look at the West, you know, it's interesting as much as I think Ohio state is a clear favorite in the East. And I do love that batch of Michigan state, Michigan, Penn state. And I do think those teams could push Ohio state, man. I look at the West and Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, maybe even throw in Purdue, but those three sort of, you know, Midwest big boy teams, <laughs> Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin. I don't see a whole lot of difference between any of them. I'm actually leaning Minnesota to win the West this year. A lot of transition on the offensive line, but elsewhere they've got a lot of good pieces in place. And again, I just think that that division is, they all look kind of the same and they all sort of have the same ethos and mentality too. Okay. So you've got Clemson coming out of the ACC. You've got Ohio state, coming out of the big 10 let's move on to god's conference big 12 <laughs> now it, i, We're I believe chalky so far it's Absolutely. very very chalky so far <laughs> ralph but i i do believe that the big 12 while it doesn't have the best players it's the most interesting conference heading into the college football season because i think there's a legitimate case you can make for four to five teams to be playing for a big 12 championship at the end of the year. So as you, as you study the chaos and survey it, when it comes to the big 12, as we head into the season, who do you like? Okay. So I swear I didn't do this just because I'm on your show. Um, but again, I, I, I think you can't go chalk. I think, as you said, it's an interesting conference with lots of possibilities. So as I wrote in my little column here, score one for the leftovers, I'm going to go Kansas state. You know what? I'm a sucker maybe for a story to understand. I, I, I'm a storyteller. I'm a journalist at heart, right? I mean, you guys are the football experts. I, you know, I know football, but I'm also a sucker for a story. And I find myself being like, first of all, I think that they got a lot of good pieces at, at Kansas state and a good coaching staff. So let's start with that. But I do, I am very much drawn to the Adrian Martinez story and this Adrian Martinez redemption story. I think Oklahoma will be the best team in the conference. I wouldn't be surprised if they finish first in the conference. But I'm going to roll the dice on Kansas State getting to that conference championship game. 
And again, I'm a sucker for the story, man. Adrian Martinez, after all he went through at Nebraska, winning a conference title with a big upset over an Oklahoma team. Listen, Oklahoma team that's still the most talented team in the Big 12. But transition, we don't know exactly how all those things are going to work. And I imagine there'll be a few bumps along the way for Oklahoma because of that. And I just think that the time is right to sort of like have this this opportunity for, uh, uh, you know, for, for again, a surprise champion there against Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I, I like Kansas State a lot. I think they are a team that nationally tends to fly under the radar, but, yeah. you know, they play Oklahoma tough as nails every single year, regardless of, of what their record is. And I think that Adrian Martinez, if they can fix some turnover issues, he actually fits that offense to a T. I mean, he's perfect for it, especially the offensive coordinator, Colin Klein. If he can if he can mimic some of the things that he did whenever he was quarterback there, that could be a really dangerous team. What's your take on Baylor? They won it last year. They were out, an outstanding football team, just physically tough, really good running game, really good on defense. You feel like they can – put out the same type of product this year as they did last? I think they could be a very similar team to last year, though I guess maybe slightly differently built, like same premise, but they're a little better on the lines this year. That's going to be their strength, right? Each offensive, the offensive and defensive lines are pretty loaded and have a fair amount of experience. But man, I just think you, when you lose all that skill position talent and all that back end talent and speed, Here's the other thing that, that like, I think that leaves you open for a little regression. And it also goes back to, man, just the Big 12. Like the difference between Baylor having this magical season in the Big 12 last year where they win the conference. And let's say Iowa State, which was a disappointment winning, going seven and five in the conference and then, you know, losing a bowl game. If you look at their like the way their results played out. It's a couple of close games. Field goal wins it for Baylor here and a bounce here goes Baylor's way. Iowa State has a couple of games that don't go their way. Like the difference between the first and the fourth place team, going back to what you said about how interesting the Big 12 is, is a lot of times just a couple of injuries, little little good fortune here and there. So I could see Baylor being really good and a contender again. But a couple of things don't go their way, and all of a sudden, well, they're Iowa State from last year. And Kansas State gets a couple of things go their way, and they're the Baylor or, or Oklahoma State from this year. I just I think that there's that much sort of randomness in the conference, and that's not a, it's not fun to predict randomness. It's hard to. But I just think that the line between those teams is so small that you're just talking about who wins their close games. So sounds like you think, Oklahoma is going to be a really good football team, but what do you think about Texas, right? Quinn Ewers gets yeah. named the starter in a very odd way. A lot of question marks about a defense that wa- wasn't good last year. Uh, some people, I mean, you look at some of these betting odds across the country, Texas has really good odds, but what do you, uh, I mean, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I, I still have a hard time trusting a defense that, you know, you talk about like, how do you get better at tackling? Well, you, you tackle, you, you know, and I, and I, and I'm sure that they're doing it at Texas. I'm sure they're trying to change that culture and that mentality and that, and that toughness. 
but we didn't see it last year. I think uh, clearly the offense has a chance to be really explosive. Even last year, they, they had at times explosiveness on that offense because you can't have Xavier Worthy and Bijan Robinson and not be explosive offensively with Sark playing, calling the plays there. But the 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 question marks on the offensive line, the question marks on the defense in general. I, I keep looking at Texas as the ultimate wild card, right? The ultimate, like yes. They could barge into the top of that that conference and start really seriously contending and maybe even get to the championship game. But I could also see them being just, a, you know, a step or so be- worse than what I think are the more safe picks, Oklahoma, Baylor, Kansas State, maybe even Oklahoma State. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Iowa State. Uh, you know, last year they were picked to have a really good year. You you talked kind of about how their season unfolded. And it seems like after that, everyone just kind of forgot about Iowa State. And and we don't know, like, was that just Campbell had a, a good group of guys that all came in together, you know, had ton of experience. Now they lose most of those guys. And now they have to start back at square one. Is Is that your feeling on them? Or... Are they actually going to be a really difficult team that's going to play close to what they have over the last two or three years, which is, you know, they play everyone close with a chance to beat anyone in the conference on a given weekend? Yeah, I think the question is, like, what is the new square one for Iowa State? Has Matt Campbell's clearly raised the expectations and what is possible at at Iowa State? But I guess the question would be is – is a rebuild year at Iowa state. We win four games. Like we go back to what Iowa state kind of looked like before Matt Campbell. Maybe we have to have one of those seasons before they ramp up again. Or is he, is the culture good enough? Is the foundation good enough there that a reset season is four and five in the conference and they win six or seven games overall. Right. Or, or, you know, maybe they at least get to, you know, again, it's a tough conference and a couple of close games. But can they can they at least still be, as you said, play close, play competitive as they're reestablishing their next core of players? Right. They've recruited pretty well, but it's still a developmental program. And you think at a place like Iowa State, you would need a, a couple of years to cycle back up to get some of these guys in your system, build them up, be, get them, get them to be, um, uh, you know, older players. Now I know they, they like the new quarterback a lot. Brock Purdy was a tremendous player, but the Brock Purdy experience was pretty wild over the last few years. Right. Pretty crazy I mean, to say that, you know, a guy that broke all of their records is maybe what held them back. Well, yeah, it, it is weird. Right. But there was clearly a ceiling there with Purdy. Right. And I think that they feel like this kid Deckers has a chance to beat to sort of maybe break through that ceiling to be a little bit more of a consistent player, uh, a player that, again, maybe has a little bit of a higher ceiling. But again, like I said, they, they lose so much core core, so many core players there. I love Will McDonald. Listen, he's going to be a four. So, again, they don't look like they're starting from scratch at Iowa State. And the question becomes, what's the new floor at Iowa State? And, and in some ways, it'll, it'll be as big a challenge for Matt Campbell and, and his coaching, you know, skill and acumen this year as any year he's been there, again, to sort of establish like, okay, what does it look like when you're rebuilding? Uh, I think they're going to be a huge pain in the ass for everyone in the conference. <laughs> 
I, and, and, uh, and that would be an immense and that would be an immense accomplishment. And and if you can get to the point where you're Iowa State and you can always be a huge pain in the ass, I don't think you can ask for much more out of Campbell and his program. Right. Yeah. As, as much as things have changed, you could still have the argument. And I'm not saying it's true, but you could have the argument that they have the best receiver and the best edge rusher in the conference at Iowa State right now. Yeah, and that's the thing. Simply having some like serious playmakers there, guys who can sort of game, uh, change games, leads you to think that they probably won't bottom out here. And and again, so now we we talked about how oh the top four or five. Now we're down to the top six are going to be pretty good teams. Like how many? How and, and you know, listen, I can I know we could go to Texas Tech, we can go to West Virginia. I mean, aside from Kansas. Week in and week out, this conference is going to have probably the most competitive games, the most games that sort of can be a coin flip either way. And which is, again, why I think that you could see a team emerging from this conference that you're not expecting to, because I I don't think one or two losses is going to eliminate you from playing for the championship. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, let's move on to the Pac-12 conference and. Is this where things get unchalky for you? Do you do you like Utah, Oregon? Are you a USC guy? What what's it looking like for you in the in the Pac-12? Well, I can't go any any more unchalky than Kansas State, I guess. So, but but I I do like Oregon. Uh, I know Utah is the favorite, and USC gets a lot of the buzz. I think that we are overlooking how well Mario Cristobal has recruited the last couple of years. There's a lot of good players. I, I, this is sort of my my theory on why I think Oklahoma will be good, even though a lot of people, I think, look at Oklahoma and think, oh, boy, a lot of transition, and they didn't have anybody all Big 12, you know, preseason. It's like, yeah, but if you look at the recruiting rankings, they still have the best players. And Oregon, if you look over the last few years, they still have the best players. I think they've been kind of held back at quarterback. We'll see if Bo Nix maybe can fix that. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Ty Thompson. I just think that they, what we're what we're forgetting about with Oregon because they played so poorly at the end of last season is that they were building toward this season with Mario. When you have Justin Flo and Noah Sewell, and they've recruited really well on the offensive line, like I think for the Pac-12, it's the best team on paper, and that's what I'm sort of leaning toward. It's the best team on paper in the Pac-12. Is, you know, everyone's talked about Oregon, obviously Utah, uh, USC gets, gets ranked way above where they should be. It, is there any chance that UCLA is kind of lost in the mix here with, with a quarterback that's been playing college football for 15 years and, you know, they, they've slowly started to get that system. Um, they understand it. They, they had a couple of really nice flashes last year, but couldn't maintain it could could they kind of be a a wrench in the system, perhaps? I think so. You're right, just with the idea of of the experienced quarterback with DTR there and Chip. Um, again, I, I have been a little skeptical of how they have recruited in general. Now that's sort of a Chip Kelly mo. He tends to you know find his guys and develop well. Uh, I think that that can be very successful as we saw it be successful. But I do wonder if there's just enough dudes 
uh, enough to, to really break through there and to win that. Again, they were very good last year. My guess is they'll be good this year. They have a pretty easy non-conference schedule, which I think is good because it allows them to ramp up and get some confidence going. But will they be able to withstand sort of the pounding that you have to take with Utah, right? Because I, I think Utah is still the class of that division, I think. Though I think USC's got a pretty high ceiling just because, man, they might score a zillion points. <laughs> like, And that might be enough to win a division there. So I, I do think UCLA is sort of like that next team where I sort of put them to the side and think if I, if I was looking for a, a surprise team, it probably would have been UCLA. But I sort of landed on the Oregon, Utah, USC you know, trio and just figured like the champion was going to come out of there. What do you expect from USC in year one under Lincoln Riley? I, I, I think that they can win that division. Now, I know everybody's on Utah. And Kyle Whittingham's program has been a rock. And I think that its stability has been what has driven it forward uh, above some of these teams, you know, these teams that supposedly recruit better, supposedly recruit better. Um, Knowing who you are, they'll come back with rising. They'll come back with Tavian Thomas. They'll always be good on the on the defensive lines. They got a really great corner in Clark Phillips, who I think can be an All-American. So they very much have an identity there that I think they lean into and that provides them, you know, a lot of success. But um, I think so. I sort of that's a lot about Utah. So what's USC? Well, USC is just they're the circus, man. I mean, they're going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I just I can't see Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley, those receivers, you know, Travis Dye, like there's going to be a lot of points there. I, I don't especially against an, a Pac-12 schedule. Like, I just think that they're going to overwhelm teams with their offense most weeks and whatever issues they have on the defensive side, they'll get exposed on certain weeks, but not often enough to keep them from winning a division. Just a, a little bit deeper on USC. What's your thought of, I mean, this is, is this is maybe our first real look at what a team that's built via transfers looks like compared to a team that's built via recruiting. And, you know, I'll, I'll just say from, from watching Lincoln Riley up close, I would he's a fantastic coach. I think he does a great job in recruiting. I think obviously he's a, a brilliant offensive mind. I think his biggest weakness as a coach is culture. Mm-hmm. And the toughest thing to do, with transfers is get the culture right. Whenever you're adding a bunch of people from different, different places, how do you think that whole thing plays out? Yeah, I think that, and that's a theme we're going to see around the country this year. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, not to, not to uh, waste too much time here, but let's look back for a second. Michigan state was one of those teams last year, right? It really leaned into transfers. It all clicked and they ended up having a great year. But I, I'm with you. I think that it, it builds a certain amount of uncertainty into into what USC is doing. Does the culture fit together? Is everybody pulling the rope the same way? Like you bring in all these kids and there's a bit of a mercenary feel to all this. And what happens when it doesn't go right? Does everybody start looking at, well, what am I declaring for the draft? Right. Like, you know, you lose a game here or there. Or you have a bad break. And does that 
and does what 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 you're trying to build become really fragile and fall apart? Uh, you know, um, I think it's a fair thing to question, and I do wonder how that's going to work at USC to a certain degree. Oklahoma, right, bringing in a whole bunch of new guys. LSU, Ole Miss, there's a whole bunch of these teams, really good teams that are leaning into the portal this year. And my feeling with USC is the conference gives them a little more leeway there that they might just simply be able to overwhelm most of their opponents with skill talent and Lincoln Riley's, you know, beautiful mind. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the sec, which has Alabama who everyone, (laughs) I think we all could agree. uh, Everyone believes this team is going to be really, really good. So you got Bama coming out of the sec. Yeah, no chalk here, man. It's I mean, or excuse me, nothing but chalk here. Nothing but chalk here. It's Alabama and Georgia. I think we're looking at another, you know, collision course. Alabama on one side, Georgia on the other, marching toward an SEC championship game, which will either determine whether they both get in the playoff or whether just the winner gets in the playoff. Um, I could see a situation. It's even hard. You know, the funny thing is, like, I, I, I really want to think like, oh, maybe Georgia takes a little step back this year. They're super loaded as far as talent. But, you know, again, like when you have half an NFL defense and you have to replace that, you think that that leaves you a little vulnerable to maybe, hey, we're on the road one week and we have a couple of turnovers and man, we lost to South Carolina. Uh, it's just hard to find that spot on their schedule where they might have that slip up. So I think that those two teams will march to an SEC championship game. And, you know, maybe there's a possibility that Georgia has a misstep in the regular season, loses to Bama in the SEC championship game, and that eliminates Georgia from the playoff. I, I could see a scenario like that, but man, Alabama loaded well-coached as always, and coming in with a chip on its shoulder. It's a rough, it's a rough combination, man. Yeah, a, a lot of people, myself included, think that Will Anderson is, you know, the best defensive player that college football's seen in maybe a decade or more. Does he Sue, got a, Indomitian? Yeah, yeah. Maybe since Indomitian, Sue. Right. Does he have a chance to win the Heisman? So – Please don't jump on me here, defensive player. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think so, but I don't think it's because of Will Anderson. I think it's just uh, – uh, I'll say this. I don't vote. I, I'm not in the Heisman pool. AP doesn't – kind of discourages its its uh, employees to vote for awards. Um, and I really don't mind not voting. The Heisman uh, voting panel is enormous. It, it involves a lot of people who I don't know are super engaged in college football who – are interested in college football, but are not necessarily 24 seven with college football. And I just think it makes it super hard for a defensive player. Here's the other thing too. You need a catfishing story, right? Yeah. Get all those people involved. Uh, A little bit of a cheap shot there. A little bit of a cheap shot. (laughs) I'm just saying that that story got everyone involved with the defensive guy. But even that year, he finished way behind Johnny Manziel, Manti, yeah. right? And I think that's just the nature of of what it is to be a defensive player. Here's here's what I come back to because Clowney came in one year with a lot of hype, right? And he didn't put he didn't perform as well that year. But 
I, I think Anderson most likely will perform better than that. I have higher expectations of his performance. But, man, there are so many things that defense can do, or excuse me, an offense will do now to sort of like make sure that his that they he doesn't wreck their games as much. Right. So if his numbers come down a little bit, let's say he only has only has 11 sacks as opposed to this 15 or 16, and he only has 25 tackles for loss as opposed to the 32 or three he had last year. That would still be a monster year, but you could still then make the argument, well, he wasn't as good as last year. So I just think it's hard for, for to expect this voting panel to embrace a defensive player in this age of offense. And we know there'll be great quarterbacks with amazing numbers. I, you want, I mean, you know who I think is going to win the, the Heisman? I think it's going to be Caleb Williams. Well, a lot of voters out West. Yeah. Well, uh, but I also think that there's a lot, like he'll, he'll put up these crazy numbers. I think USC is going to have a good enough year. The narrative around him will be, even if they don't win, make the playoff and win the PAC 12 will be, Hey man, he lifted USC out of a five win season. Look at those great numbers. And I just think there's enough people who are drawn to these quarterbacks that it, it takes a guy like Will Anderson I just don't know what he would have to do other than be better than last year statistically. And last year was historic statistically. So it just seems like it's a, it's a tough road for a guy like Anderson. Uh, Sorry, Teddy, man. Uh, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not uh, fair, man. I'll tell you right now, Ralph, there's going to be a lot of people that hear you say Caleb Williams there and they're going to make, they're going to, there's going to be some four letter words flying after you say, <laughs> Again, I, I swear that was not – I didn't do that just for this podcast and this audience. The, the the stories are on the wire with me in this in print. I just don't want to contradict what I've already written on the show, and I predicted that, Caleb Williams to win the Heisman Trophy. That is, that is fair. That is fair. Okay, <laughs> before we let you get out of here, cool. who do you have making the playoff, and then ultimately who do you have winning it all? Yeah, again, I was trying to find somebody a little more interesting, but I can't really go with Kansas State getting to the playoff. I think it's going to be a muddled Big 12. So that left me with Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oregon. It's been a long time since we've had a Pac-12 team in the playoff, but I could see a path where Oregon plays well enough against Georgia that first week and then has a good Pac-12 season and gets there. I do think those last two playoff spots are going to be really muddled and could provide for a lot of interest, a lot of interesting possibilities this season. But those are my four. And it's very rare for the number one AP team preseason to win the national championship. So I'm going to go Ohio state. They're going to be dangerous. Their offense is going to be uh, really something. I guess the defensive side is the, is the one question there. If they can just be good enough. Hey, they got dudes on that defensive side. Again, it's not like they didn't have they haven't been recruiting there. They got a couple of defensive ends, Jack Sawyer, uh, including them, who were five star recruits last year. And if those guys blossom, all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, what happens if you throw a Bosa on that defense? Well, things change, right? Right. Right. And we'll we'll see if Jim Knowles can get the most out of all that talent they got on that side of the ball. Ralph, you're the man. Um I I'm proud of you for not going straight chalk. Way to go, man. <laughs> I tried to mix it up a little bit. Frankly, I didn't think I was as daring as I should have been. <laughs> You're the man. Thanks for the Good time, stuff. buddy. Thanks, guys.
I guess K-State's not chalky, even though everyone's like, oh, watch out for K-State. No one's talking about them. Everyone's talking about them. Yeah, I, I think they are going to be a dangerous team. Um, enough to win the Big 12, perhaps. Now, one of the strange things about the Big 12 championship is I think almost every single year since its inception, there's been a new team in it. Now, Kansas State has not played in it since it's been um, since resurrected. They, since they resurrected it. So it would stand to reason that perhaps Kansas State does make it to the Big 12 championship. They got to stay healthy. They've had health issues in the past. They just don't have the depth. And um, Adrian Martinez, we'll see. If, if he fixes the turnover issue, he's going to be dangerous. Yeah, I, I do appreciate Ralph picking someone other than Bama to win, even though. That's someone else's Ohio State. <laughs> They're both going to be really good. I just I don't know that Alabama's going to be so good on both sides of the ball. It's it's hard to to where we sit today to pick someone outside of Alabama to win the championship. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first. It's time to get back out on the golf course, people, and there's nothing better to drink on the course than the number one seltzer in golf, Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that is already winning national awards because their product is delicious. It tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. They're not just for the golf course either. They're perfect to drink by the pool, after mowing the lawn, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, go grab some. You won't regret it. The variety pack is out. To find a place near you that has clubbies, visit clubbyseltzers.com. And attention, business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. Are you looking to buy or sell a house in the OKC metro area? Use the Ronaldo Cloud Group, Stacia Ronaldo and Maddie Cloud are with Sage Sotheby's International Realty. They believe in prompt communication, an honest relationship, and luxury service. And that's exactly what they gave Gabe. They sold a house for Gabe. They found a house for Gabe's brother. They also found a house for Lane Johnson. We can't recommend them enough. You can reach them by calling or texting Stacia at 918-671-6450, or you can contact them on Instagram at at sold by Stacia and at sold by Maddie underscore. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? Well, pretty easy. Um, Kirby Smart lasted, I guess, a little over uh, a month or two as the highest paid coach in college football before Nick Saban uh, gets upgraded $11.7 million a year. Uh, they added a year onto his contract out to 2029, which 
he'll be 78 at the end of that contract. And I think he'll still be coaching. And here's the thing, considering what Kirby smart makes, what, uh, Dabo Sweeney makes what Mel Tucker, who's up there, uh, Jimbo Fisher, not only is Nick Saban the highest paid coach in college football, he might also be the most underpaid coach in college football. I was thinking about this when it got announced. I wonder if it's possible to, to come up with a dollar figure, like the impact that Nick Saban not only has had on the University of Alabama, but on the city of Tuscaloosa, the state of Alabama, and not only that, just the, the SEC as a whole. Because the SEC, it would not have the reputation it has. It would not garner the respect and, you know, frankly, the, the value that television networks have with it if Alabama hadn't done what they've done under Saban. I, I truly believe that. I, that's why people are like, oh, he makes more than more a day than tuition is at Alabama. It's like, who cares? Like that guy, he has brought an, he's brought an unbelievable amount of value to Alabama, to the SEC. Like to, it's, I, I don't even know how you measure it, man. Well, the SEC did not dominate college football before Nick Saban got to Alabama. College football was, at that time, you know, it it bounced around a little bit. What was his first year there? It's like 07, right? Is that right? Is, is that right? When, the year they lost to ULM. Yeah. Uh, was it 07? I think that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, that sounds about right because he left uh, what well, he left LSU in 04 and went to Miami, right? 04 or 05. And that didn't last very long. So if only there was a way for us to figure out what his <laughs> quick little, year. quick little Google, quick little uh, Google, I'm pulling it up. You know, th that is 2007 been, nailed it. Yeah, that's been the, the, the turning point previous to that you had, no, it's not like the sec didn't win championships, but you had you had the Big Ten winning championships. You had uh, the Big Twelve winning championships. You had the Pac twelve. Like you went in in like consecutive years. You went uh, Big Twelve, ACC, Big Ten, Pac twelve. No SEC, Pac twelve. It was like different every year. And then when Saban went to Alabama, it started to turn. Florida obviously went on their nice little run, but as soon as that was over, Alabama became a juggernaut, and the SEC has not looked back. And it wasn't just Saban, but you you can tie it back to his consistency and Alabama's consistency to where year in year out, the SEC is what they are now. I I would love to be able to talk to the people at ESPN and go, Hey, what, what is Alabama's value in your eyes? Like how much of this deal, like you, you want to have the exclusive rights to the sec. What, how much of that is because of Alabama is what it is. 
and is what Nick Saban made it. Yeah. I, that, would be, well, that would be fascinating to hear what they had to say because my guess is Nick Saban and what he's done at Alabama means a lot to television networks and the value okay. they see in the SEC. Yep, I agree. I, will, I won't lie. And just because it was weird, the, the timing was weird because of, you know, when we record these episodes, I'm stunned you didn't have Baker Mayfield as your winner of the week. Well, yeah, I guess I could have done that. I probably should have done that. He's starting just like we all expected. I'm happy. I will say this. When it comes to Baker, NFL football is more fun. It's more entertaining when that guy is on the field. So I'm excited. And the fact that that first game is against the Browns is, God, the NFL's good, man. They're so good. They're so good. Yeah. Well, uh, they're so good that sometimes it feels like it feels staged. Uh, it feels staged. But hey, you know, whatever. Uh, big money. We'll all be there uh, ready to watch. So uh, not shocking that he won that starting job. I, yeah. I thought about going with Baker Mayfield as my winner, but okay. We can cut that and edit that in if we need to. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm not going to do that, but, <laughs> but I appreciate the suggestion. <laughs> all right. Who do you have as your loser of the week? I had to go with rich Eisen. Now I'm, I I'm saw this. You saw what the, the hell on uh, Thibodeau, right? Thibodeau, defensive end for the Giants, first-round draft pick out of Oregon. Now, they're playing Cincinnati. And the most common play in football right now in the NFL and in college football is the split zone. You take a tight end, fullback on the backside. He comes across the formation and tries to cut off the backside defensive end. Teddy, question for you. Yeah. From a football perspective, why why do teams run so much split zone? Why why is it why is it such a difficult play for defenses to adjust to, even though it seems pretty simple? What, what could you tell us about the gap integrity situation? It could be tough. Zone? You take whenever you take a player across the formation in a what it's not a gap scheme, you take the gap from the guy in the backfield or usually comes from an offset and he takes it all the way to the other side of the formation and it changes all the, the fits for the linebacker. And if there's a down safety, so it just messes with that a lot because you have to go against the grain and follow the, the guy that comes across the formation, which is to linebackers. That's why you have to know who you key in a, in a, uh, given formation and in one of those formations the offset guy is your key he'll take that gap takes you to where you're going to fit all of that to say a high percentage of that block is a cut block you're coming across a formation the defensive end knows it's coming whenever he has pressure going away he knows that that guy's coming for him to try and cut him out and in a football game you're going to get cut a big percentage of the time. You see it coming. It's directly in your face. And I, you would think that Rich Eisen, and I know he doesn't have a football background, but the guy's seen enough football to know that this is a legit block. It's not dirty at all whenever a guy can see you coming. And here's what he tweeted, Gabe. Penalty, 
hefty fine, suspension. Nothing less is acceptable. And it's just totally wrong. I, I understand we want the stars in the game, but that is a legal, not dirty block at all. Like a chop block where one guy's posting you and uh, a lineman or a tight end comes and cuts you almost from behind. Like that's a dirty play and a penalty. This isn't even a penalty. So I don't know why he would say penalty, hefty fine, suspension. It's just totally incorrect. And, you know, it fans the flames for those that don't know better, which there's a lot of people that don't because it's, you know, it's not their job to know better. My, my issue, and I, I'm a big Rich Eisen fan. My issue really isn't with Rich Eisen. My issue is with guys like Emmanuel Acho who posted, and then this is what his tweet, a video of the block and said, this is ridiculous, dangerous, dangerous, and cowardly, straight cowardly. Prayers up for Kayvon Thibodeau. If you're a football player, if you're a former player that played at a high level in college and then played in the NFL, how can that be your take on this play? You know what the real football take is on this play? What the hell is Kayvon Thibodeau doing? Yeah, he needs to get inside that block, and he shouldn't be standing outside. I am guess I guess sometimes you can be outside of it. Almost always he gets inside of that play, but. Why, why are his eyes not in the place? When they're in that formation, why do you not know? There is, if they're running the football, there's a high probability that it's split zone, and that tight end is coming to cut your ass. Yeah. Why aren't you using your hands? If you're going to go with the shoulder like that, which. I have a feeling that's not the technique that their defensive line coach is is working on. If you're going to go with the shoulder, like you better get it, man. Right. Yeah. Why are you staying completely square? Why aren't you taking that guy on? Like that's the the bottom line of that hit is it's legal. It's not dirty by Thad Moss. He's just executing his assignment. His assignment on that play is, hey, go get that defensive end on the ground. Yep. There's nothing like, hey, man, watch his knee. No, no, no. Go get him on the ground. That guy's trying to make a roster. You have yep. to understand that. That's his job on that play, and he executed it exactly how he's supposed to. Like, you got guys like RG3 saying, hey, you need to ban this block. No, you don't, because this is the reality of it. If you ban guys going back and cutting on split zone, zone slice, whatever you want to call it, that that play's not going away because it's a really hard play for defenses because you have to gap adjust on the fly. Which, on that point, we probably need to talk about this at, at some point. I think they just banned it in college. Did you see the rule changes? Oh, my God. You, like The tight end can no longer cut, even if he's on the line of scrimmage. I, I really disagree with that, and here's why. That play's not going away. It's not. It's 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 a really effective play for offenses. So that means now when that player is going back to block that defensive end, there is going to be a head-on-head collision, a car wreck between a 6'4, 250 guy and a 6'4, 250 guy. 
that are and lined our up whole, about eight yards apart from each other. At full speed. One guy's going to be running full speed at the other. And I thought the whole part was to eliminate the collisions like that out of the game. Yeah. Right? I thought this was we were protecting guys' heads and all this stuff. And now you you are eliminating a block that reduces those collisions in a game. Yep. Which, so, you know, I, I'm not sure that it's – I know the tight end, can, even if he's lined up on the line of scrimmage, hand down, can no longer cut block. It has to be inside the tackle box. But I don't know – I don't know if they're calling that inside the tackle box. You know what I'm saying? I don't know – I don't know what the ruling is since that tight end's off the line of scrimmage coming across the formation. Have to see. That – that's frustrating. To wrap this whole thing up, Dad Moss is just doing his job. Kayvon Thibodeau got to play with some better technique because now, hey, you know this as well as I do. It's on film now. Hey, this guy doesn't know how to play split zone. So guess what? When he comes back, and I'm really glad it wasn't serious, right? Uh, MCL sprain, a couple weeks, he'll be back, right? Which is good because I want to watch Kayvon Thibodeau play football for the Giants. But now that it's on tape, that he struggles taking on split zone, guess what? Here it comes. They're going to run it at his ass 10 times a game. Yep. And say, hey, we're coming to cut you. It's legal. It's within the rules. You better learn how to play it. And until he until he proves to teams, hey, you can't run this at me. It ain't going to work. I'm going to take this block on. I'm going to make plays. They're, they're going to run it at him in a multitude of ways, Ted. That's right. Yep. That's that's how it works. It's a copycat league. Yeah. All right. Let's get to my winner and loser. But first. First Fidelity Bank is a full service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. you got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcony's Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcony's Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember in 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the best in glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners, yeah, they're from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit balconesdistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the week, Thought about going with the University of Washington football broadcast team because those guys are going to be grinning all season because Kalen DeBoer just named Michael Penix their starting quarterback. And it's, Ted, it's just really hard to say Penix 
without getting a smile on your face. It's just, it's nearly impossible. Every time I look down and read it here on the rundown, I laugh. It looks like you just X'd out the, uh, the last letter of uh, a dirty little word. I, I see it now. Penix goes deep. Giggling. <laughs> oh, you know, it's that's great. It is what it is, but I, I'm happy for Michael Penix Jr., right? Was that Indiana? Did some good things. Everyone yeah. remembers, you know, him stretching for the pylon. I was shocked whenever I saw that. I was like, he's he still playing? Yeah. Like he's been around for a long time. Yeah, but my winner of the week, I'm going with NBA fans. Now, on one hand, Brooklyn Net fans, they got to be thrilled. Because the Nets and Kevin Durant have, quote, agreed to move forward with our partnership and are, quote, focusing on basketball with one collective goal in mind, building a lasting franchise to bring a championship to Brooklyn. Just if you're a Nets fan, hey, you, you still have Kevin Durant. Now, it's a truly bizarre end to this two months of drama of KD requesting a trade. But, hey, if. You're a Nets person. Hey, you're keeping Kevin Durant. Uh, that's that's typically fun to watch Watch that guy play basketball. But you could also be the rest of NBA fans because it still feels like this isn't going to end well to me. Like, this is going to be dramatic as hell in some form or fashion because you still got Kyrie, right? He's still there. They couldn't trade him. Uh, you've got the awkward situation where Kevin Durant told Josiah, who is one of the richest guys on the planet, that, hey, you you got to get rid of Steve Nash and Sean Marks, or you got to get rid of me. And Josiah kind of looked at him and was like, no, I don't. <laughs> and the people that KD tried to get fired are all still there. So that's very awkward. And then put a little cherry on top, Ted, because some people may have forgotten. The whole Ben Simmons situation is still in Brooklyn as well. So that adds a nice little spice to everything. They are going to be the dramatic mess. It's going to be a gift that keeps on giving for the foreseeable future. And I, I frankly cannot wait for that ride. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. The, the nets are without a doubt a, forest full of dry kindling waiting on a discarded cigarette right that is what is about to happen with the nets and they probably won't make it through training camp yeah and well turns out it's it's really hard for teams to put a package together that you know kind of matches kevin durant's value because he's one of the best players ever so um I do. I, 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 how, how influential influential do you think Silver, you know, that statement about players demanding trades out of their contracts, like you think that had anything to do? Because you got to believe like the entire league is like from the top has to believe that that's not a good thing for the NBA and maybe to work with one another about not not just agreeing to that and letting guys out to trades. I, I certainly think that played a role in it. I, I think, you know, what the nets were asking for, for a trade package played a role in it. And I also think honestly, Joe Sy went, listen, man, I know you're good at basketball, but you are not on my level. <laughs> right. I'm not there. You're not pushing me around. Like I, I, I think that's part of it. It's like, 
you're going to trade me you're, or you're going to get rid of these guys. No, no, no. Uh, I own the team. I'm not doing what I don't want to do. Sorry, man. Like I, and I respect Josiah for doing that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Like he, he's hearing all the player empowerment stuff and then making decisions. He's like, no, no, no. I'm the super, super, super rich guy. Not you. <laughs> it's just kind of funny when you think it's, of it that way. It, yeah. It's weird that a guy makes nearly $50 million a year and it's like, no, nah, you're not even close, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's one of those, we're, we're talking, you know, millionaires versus millionaires situations. Yeah. All right. For my loser of the week, a lot about going with Will Zalatoris. We talked about him having to withdraw from the BMW last week because of bash kick shoes. Well, makes a lot of sense now. Two herniated discs for Zalatoris. He's withdrawn from the tour championship where he would have had a chance to, to win the FedEx Cup, which comes with an $18 million payday. Also said he's going to miss the President's Cup. Yikes, man. I I don't like the sound of that for him. That sounds like like that's that sounds like an event like like something had to have happened for for you to have two herniated discs or i don't know if it's just something that's slowly come on that he's been managing but that's a big deal yeah so uh all the best to willie z that doesn't doesn't sound good man but my loser of the weekend i think you're gonna like this one my loser of the week college football sideline reporters so (laughs) let me explain Anytime some weird food thing goes viral, it's almost a guarantee. It's like it's a, it's a law or something that a college football sideline reporter will have to replicate what went viral with, with the food situation. That's so true. And Ted, I'm guessing you saw the viral video of the Yankees fan the other night. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So oh. If you haven't seen it, this Yankees fan, and I, I really don't care if it was staged or not. I will say the guy looked like he's done it before. He looked yeah. very comfortable doing it. It's like he was on autopilot. Uh, yeah, that, there's, I, that's the part that I'm like, I don't know that. This it doesn't look like just something he's thought of a minute ago and they thought would be funny. It's like he's got some experience in this. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it. Go check it out. But the man hollows out the middle of a hot dog wiener with a straw and then uses said hot dog wiener as a straw to drink his beer. And I already saw the baseball guys on TBS already did this. So you know it's coming. I know it is coming because we've got week zero games this weekend. We've got week one, you know, a full slate and week one of college football next week. I don't know what the count is going to be, but there are going to be, I'm going to say several sideline reporters that are going to have to drink some sort of liquid through a hot dog wiener. I, you can almost guarantee it. And full disclosure, I, I don't think it'd be that bad, right? I'm a guy that likes to sprinkle a little salt in his beer every once in a while. I don't think it would be that bad, but it's coming. That, that will be on broadcast. I just don't know how many it's going to be. But college football sideline reporters, prepare yourselves. You're going to be drinking something through a hot dog wiener. Guaranteed. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I would just say to you, just sprinkle some salt in your beer instead of 
going the whole hot dog route, but uh, I'm with you. I Now, I think it would be horrible, but this did give me an idea. If we know that we're going to, maybe we do it, eh, it's going to be in Nebraska. If we know there's going to be like a big game at home, like maybe that Baylor game is starting to trend, like it's going to be a game day type of situation. We need to stage something horrible like the week before to make it look like it's a an Oklahoma thing to where whoever the sideline reporter has to has to do it. Like it's just some stage horribleness, and there they are on national TV having to do it. So you want to set a trap. Set a trap. Yeah. Okay. Well, people, send us your ideas. What what kind of food, weird food thing can we do? to set the trap for whatever sideline reporter is going to have a big OU game this year. I, I love that idea. It's fantastic. Cue the star Wars guy. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. Now send us your ideas. You know where to find us on Twitter at okay. Underscore breakdown. Send us what you got. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll monitor our favorites and just have them ready, have them ready to roll. All right. Episode two forty three in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday morning. D.D. Westbrook, people, I'm telling you, you're not going to want to miss it. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on SiriusXM and Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the last weekend without OU football for quite some time, people. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one.